0: Welcome back, Cal and the listeners. This is Methodical Millions, episode 16. So Cal, we talked about ideas and opportunity, where they start, how to keep track of them. But how do you go to test these ideas and what do you do if they don't work?
1: First of all, I struggled quite a lot many times in my life to actually have a plan and have a dream and actually wanted to take action upon it. And it's the taking action part that I struggled with. So what I did is just looked at the first thing that I thought I needed to do to get to where I wanted to be. I would test it on a small scale. So when I wanted to start investing, I bought a few stocks and just went for it and wanted to understand how it behaves perhaps not the best way but what it did it actually taught me quite a lot on how to actually execute a trade how to get in and out of position so that perhaps has helped me understand how things work on a basic level and one step led to another and again sometimes i would lose and i would know what not to do and then when i win i try to find out what actually worked so Starting small, or if you have a way to actually just test it in a simulated environment, that can be very, very useful because it helps you understand how things work before you actually take full action. You're taking action, just not in a real environment. So it reduces the actual risk quite a lot. And it can get you excited as well when you learn a lot along the way.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you made some good points, which is learn by doing and You want to test things to see the outcome. So it's almost like testing a hypothesis in science. And if scientists would die every time they did an experiment, for example, like something really crazy, they wouldn't do them right. So just like that, you want to try things, like you said, with low risk so that it's not going to impact your life to the downside. So try things on a small scale, A lot of businesses will do this. So I'll give you some examples in the startup world. If you want to test demand for a new product, what's the cheapest thing to do? So you can maybe ask some friends, but you'll run out of friends after a while. Maybe they're just people in your close circle. Maybe it's not your target demographic. What about standing on the street? So right now you can actually. So the conventional wisdom is make a website, and make a sign up email. So let's say, we'll do something gimmicky. So you're giving away $100 to the first 100 customers. And what's the product? I'm just gonna give you $100. So you'll probably run through that pretty fast. You're paying for your customer, that's called customer acquisition. Assuming it's not a scam, I'm assuming you'd find people who would want that. So. I'm not saying it's a good product idea. It's just a mental exercise in what would happen. So usually what people would do is say, give me your email and I'll let you know when the product launches. It could be a new app. I think some car companies did that for their electric car offerings. You've seen that with rocket launches, I think, with Virgin Galactic. Things like that. So if you have something pre product Prototype concept idea, and you want to test it, that's where I'd start. I'd gauge the demand that way. And that's kind of low risk. So, if it's a physical good, so like a car or hardware product, we talked about hardware being a lot more expensive than the software typically. How do you gauge demand? So, that's a very important concept in business. And that's going to help frame if you're on the right path. So, Ideas are plentiful. A lot of people in business say the execution matters. And what that means is, what's your path to the product? Acquiring users, acquiring customers, profit margins, and then scaling, and then iterating on the product again. You get the cycle of growing your business. And somewhere in between, you figure out staffing, hiring, you figure out things like raising money capital allocation we talked about, where do you put your dollars to grow the business? So this topic is very important because what if you have 10 ideas and then you don't know what to do? So I like the topic. I do follow it closely about how people test things and go from there. So Cal, do you have any specific examples besides investing, maybe in the business space of you testing something? And I'm only asking because if most people haven't started a business, I really want to see if there's like an off-the-cuff answer. It could be something small that you've tried.
1: Yeah, it's not something I've actually tried, but it's something I've come across. I watched a short clip. It's a Gary Vee clip there with one of the entrepreneurs who's interviewing. I found his story very fascinating. And basically, he was trying to provide a service that was needed. So a lot of people who have newborn children and they want to get diapers, and the story was... How did he want to get an overnight business delivering diapers? And his story was amazing. He started in Google, seeing the amount of people who were searching for diapers. And the thing behind that is, that some people might not think it's a great idea because generally, diapers are a loss leader. People walk into the store and they would buy them. And usually, the seller would sell them at a lower price than they bought it for. So they'd sell them at a loss just to get people into the store and hopefully they'd buy other things in the store. So that's what a lost leader is. So a lot of companies were thinking it's not a good idea because he was trying to buy out a service to deliver a lost leader to the homes. And what he's done is he looked up online, he thought that obviously Amazon wouldn't even do it because even if you find any on Amazon at the time, a few years ago, they might not deliver them overnight or they would charge a high price for them. So. One thing led to another. He went to a few stores. He started taking small actions. So he started with his close friends and family in neighborhood. Started buying those himself with his partner, and then delivering them. And then slowly but surely, without going to too much detail, his operation grew. He started a website. Some of the suppliers who wouldn't supply him directly eventually started supplying him because he was a customer of one of their biggest customers. So eventually and got to a point where he needed to get more for his customers because he started to have quite a big base, and he grew into this large, large company. It's just amazing. And the idea behind that is he started by Googling and looking into, apparently there was a time where you can see on Google how many searches there were for certain keywords and things like that. So it was nothing but a simple dream, two friends or partners, and they started with almost nothing and turn it into something quite big. He has people working under him right now. He has a partnership with big corporations, blue-chip companies that provide him uh, with the inventory, and uh, he's providing the service. Obviously, people would pay money to have the convenience. So either providing a service that's not been there, or even if it's something that's already been there, if you want to know how much people would pay for that product or the service, And try to look up some information on how much people have spent on in the future, if they think that's a fair price or a low price or a high price, and take it from there. A very short story about myself is when it comes to the investing and trading side, many times I would test something if I want to make sure that something actually works. I would test it again in a simulated environment. So I would do these trades or investment ideas on a simulated platform. It really paints a picture of how things actually can work in the real world. You're using real-life data. You're using real-life prices, but you're not using real money. And you can see what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. And the amount of knowledge that you can come up with is huge in terms of when you actually come and put it to real practice. So just a couple of things there that I think really can come quite in handy. Just do your research and take it step by step, one step at a time, and you'd be surprised how powerful that is.
0: That's really fascinating. And I just get excited about hearing stories like that where somebody takes basically an idea and runs with it. And it's inspiring. You start to think, well, what can I do? What kind of idea can I bring to the world? And the testing aspect is so important because if you can get a tight feedback loop, so a circle of idea, test, iterate. Feedback, see if people like it. What can you do better? Maybe you change the business. Maybe you change the product. Maybe people don't want weekly shipping, they want overnight, like Cal was saying. So, but if you're in that creative space, I think it's really cool. In the business world, it's called product market fit. We've talked about it before, but basically, do customers want your product or service in this case? And by being able to measure, and test, you find out, I'm going to use software as an example, so let's say you have an app that does 10 things and people only like one or two. You start asking the first 100 users, what do you really like about this product? And a question people ask is, what would you do if this app went away? And if people say, this is life-changing, I really can't live without it, it could be something gimmicky like a game or it could really... Add value in terms of a task app. But if it is so essential where people can't imagine life without it, I think you're onto something. And Instagram has a famous story about that. I think they raised half a million dollars. They only used about 50K to get Instagram going. And I always love telling that story because to me, that almost sounds reasonable. I mean, they got acquired for a billion dollars, but I'm sure today's value would have been 250 billion or something crazy. And yeah, it's software, but I find that really also inspiring how no matter where you are in life, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to go to the right school. It's a merit-based system where if you're passionate, excited, you will really find the people around you who follow that passion. And I think that's how companies start is just a group of people who share similar passions who want to productize it or make the world better or provide a service so i'm sure that's how a lot of these big companies started so anything from i've heard the founder of dropbox saying why can't i share files on my phone and my computer and boom that huge company started and there's a bit of yes okay you might need a bit of the expertise of your unique background but if you're always learning you're going to make that expertise yours you're going to make that background and stop thinking, I don't have this. The more open-minded you are to learning that it's okay not knowing and it's okay to test things, which I think is the central theme here. If you're going to test and measure and repeat and learn, why not try ideas? If I had the same job for 20 years, I'd be really depressed. I want things to get excited about. No matter how small in scope, if I'm learning something new, I find that fascinating. I like living in that space. So testing things and repeating them to see if they'll hold true. How do you apply this in other ways? Does it matter what kind of business? Is there any reason why this wouldn't work for any kind of business?
1: I Personally, like to think this is perhaps one, if not the best way for things to work. The thing is, people always usually see the end result, right? So they'd see big companies or entrepreneurs who end up making it big. So it would say they might have gotten lucky because they were fortunate in the right place at the right time. I think there's a lot of testing, failing, repeating, retesting, re replanning, And that goes with everything in life. Again, another example with motorsport, something I'm very familiar with. For those who don't understand, now Formula One is a constructor's championship and there's a driver's championship, but the focus is each team is considered to be a constructor, right? So you have the big works team like Ferrari, Mercedes, and Renault, but then you have the other smaller teams that are considered to be constructors, but they don't construct any other vehicles. They only build Formula One cars and they don't sell them, they build them to race them. So, how those very, very different vehicles for the untrained eye, they'd look at the cars, they think they look exactly the same, but they're actually very, very different, right? So how those very different vehicles can be competing and be within milliseconds off of each other. So the thing is, these teams would take their vehicle, they'll model it into a simulated environment, and again, they would test it. So it's like an actual video game. They put it on a computer, and the drivers would go on a racing rig, like a full racing cockpit with the pedals or the steering wheel or the seat belts, everything with the race seat, and then they will race the car as if they're in a video game. And they'll be able to tell where maybe the power delivery is not as clean, maybe the downforce is not good enough, or maybe there's a lot of front nose lift, so they can't go into corners as fast. So what they do is they use this simulator, which is again, basically a video game. And they would test these and based on the data that they get from that, they would go back, model it on their vehicle or on the actual system, and they put it back into the game and retest it. So they did not succeed from the first time out. They did not get it right right away. So what they do is they test and retest and retest and retest. And then when the time comes and they actually race, you'd see them sometimes there within one thousandth of a second apart in qualifying, right? I remember once a few years ago, I think it was 2013, it was one of the most competitive Formula One championships in recent memory. And yeah, the top 10 were within less than a second apart. They get that close, even though they being very, very different different engines, different tire setups, different tire pressures, different suspension setups, different drivers. And they're within one second a lap from each other is because of. Testing and retesting. And they would take off all the noise, all the mistakes that they learned from the simulated environment and put into practice. So they test and repeat and fail and succeed and repeat again and retest and make sure that what worked works again. It's not a fluke. So, same thing goes with business. Same thing goes with investments. Same thing goes with your life, I think. You have to test some things again and again and again. And these companies probably haven't succeeded right away. Some might have. Succeeded quicker than others. But the thing is, it's just because of starting somewhere. You start small. All these companies and all these entrepreneurs weren't experts at what they did necessarily. They would start somewhere small and take it one step at a time and test it. And if it failed, they will not stop them and they will do something else just to make sure it actually
0: works. What a good analogy. So it's amazing how much value you can learn from testing things. And I really like the point you drilled home, which is there's almost more than one right answer for things. And there's not one path you have to take. So the fact that 10 race car teams can come to very similar results, but still get basically to the same place with a creative clever idea or mix of building a race car. Why can't a business be a mix of your own ideas and excitement? And if you keep that overarching thought of people need this, or I would love to see this in the world, it's going to help others. It's going to make their lives better. And under the premise that that's actually true, I personally get excited about that. I think that's a really good way to look at life. And you know what I've realized is when you live in that headspace, you stop caring about time. You stop caring about others in terms of comparing yourself. You really just focus on what's the actual result of this test. Am I actually moving my business forward? Am I getting results? Am I getting signups? Am I getting users? Am I getting... Customers, and I really encourage everyone to try this on a small scale once or twice and see what happens. Is not everyone's the same, that's true, but I really find that if this intrigues you at all, there's really no reason not to try it. And I think testing, like you said, is super, super important. So, Cal, after you test and repeat, is it a data play? What are you looking for? What are you looking to measure? I guess you have to have a hypothesis or a goal in mind and then measure if you hit that goal. How would you frame that once you get some data? How would you know if what you're testing worked?
1: So for me personally, it's quite simple because I would look at things that would yield positive results in the sense of is this strategy profitable or if this is going to help me take it to the next step then I would consider it. But what I would do is not get overly excited. I personally would like to have a large enough data to make sure that it is a solid plan that I have or this step actually works so I can move on to the next step. So I would do it multiple times and I tried to do it in different environments because in the real world, it's not going to be the exact same scenario every single time. And I would gather that data, again, on something as simple as an Excel spreadsheet and log it in every single time. And then I would analyze it. So I put in as much information as I can. And based on the information I have, and I feel quite confident about the plan and the method that I have, then I actually put it into real-life action. And once I do, again, I try to track the data that I have again and see if it's similar results. If for whatever reason it's not, then there might be an error in this sense of not necessarily having a mistake, but maybe there's a skew of other variables that come into play that might have changed the data. So that's how I like to see it. Now, some places, let's say, where you can't put in simulated trading, what I would suggest is, again, you start something small. Let's say you're starting a business or a project of some sort. And what you want to do is, first of all, it gets quite clear you wanted to do a certain thing. So let's say you design an app or you have a business model that you want to take because you're selling a product or providing a service. So if what you first put into play does seem to work, you keep on doing it and try to see if there's any anomalies to it, and then it's literally repeating. And doing and retesting, and then if it's not working, then you go back to the study board, and that's where gathering information is quite important because you can look back and say, okay, it worked from this period to this period, but now it's not working. So what did I do right? Did I change anything since then? Did something else change? Did I get lucky? Was it a lucky streak? So all of this comes into play, but it would only get really clear once you have enough information on your hand. So. By tracking, you can actually see if your plan's working, and then you redo it again. You reapply it. You retest it, right? Manufacturers, when they build any item, let's say a phone or a vehicle or a washing machine, what they do is they put it under product quality control. So they would try to put it in environments of stress in terms of under high load, under pressure, different temperatures. All of that comes into play. And they test the buttons, they test the electronics. So they put it into a lot of testing to make sure that works. But if it doesn't, then they try to find what the problem is. So that's how you sometimes spend more on a product is because it's been tested again and again. And there's a lot of research and development that went into that product. So that's one way, if you like to think, of trying to make sure what you have in mind works. And when you want it to work, you want it to work properly. Because you want a solid system, a solid plan that will get you to
0: the next step. I get you that makes a lot of sense and sounds like a solid foundation for building a physical product so almost like an engineering mindset which is I'm sure from your racing background that's really cool for the business side, I'm going to talk about subscriptions for a second So assuming you have the product ready and people like it, let's say you charge a monthly subscription, how businesses do this so, How do you grow your business if your product works? What a lot of people will do is measure how much does it cost to buy a new customer? So a lot of people will advertise on Google and Facebook. Their platforms are built off of advertising to customers and their value to businesses is saying, I can target exactly the people who want your product as long as you know what you're looking for. So it's up to you to decide what target age demographic, interests, things like that. And once you know you can spend money, I don't know, let's say your subscription is $10 a month, that's $120 a year, and maybe it costs you $40 to buy a customer on an average in terms of how much did you spend on advertising and then how many signups do you get. So what happens is, you're netting, let's say $80 a customer. And assuming you've got a product, you're managing your expenses. I'm just making a very simple example to kind of drive the point home. Well, if you're going to spend 40 and then net $80 profit or bringing in 120 in revenue, guess what? You can spend money to make money. And from the research I've done, this is exactly how big businesses actually scale into the hundreds of millions and some into the billion status, if it's software as a service. So anything from even Microsoft has gone to monthly subscriptions. So you've got things like Slack, like Intercom. I'm a Dropbox subscriber. Even things like Netflix or Apple Music. Everything's gone that way because it's super lucrative. You can actually measure the drop-off return of a customer. So you know your revenues. They're kind of fixed on a month-to-month basis if you can measure what the drop-off rate is, and that's back to Cal's point of how good is your product? So are people keeping it and not abandoning it? Or are they renewing their subscriptions? That's a great way to measure that. And I find that part interesting because to me, that's a clear cut recipe on once you have a product, how do you grow? And to me, that actually makes a lot of sense. I see a path to building a business that way. Now, We talked about customer acquisition. There's another concept called lifetime value. So let's say Cal is my customer. He likes the product. And Cal is the average customer in my data set who uses it for two years. That means I'll get $240 in the lifetime of that customer before they drop off. So guess what? You can technically spend $100 a customer or more because the lifetime value they will spend in your product is actually higher than just the one year. So if you have people who are lifetime subscribers, so if you've had Spotify for three years or use Netflix as an example, maybe you're going to subscribe for 10 years. So there is such immense value in software of getting subscribers that it's absolutely worth looking at and measuring. And if you have a product that works, you can really turn that into something where you don't have to worry about well, you know what? We had 10 orders this month of our AirPod case or if you're selling any kind of drop ship goods off Alibaba, eBay, Amazon, there's a fluctuation in demand. So that can get a bit of a question mark. Well, how do I grow from there? And you probably need a product that really is unique and takes off. But if you have a subscription style business, when it clicks, it almost seemed like this turning wheel of revenue where you don't even know what to do with it anymore. Everything seems to be going well and, and you're growing. So we'll wrap up with one example. I think it was dollar shave club. I don't know too much about that business, but they're basically a subscription razor blade business and I'm not a customer, but I've heard they got acquired for a lot of money. And I think they got bought by like Procter and gamble or something for a crazy amount of money. Without going into detail, let's use them as an example. So they took razors, which I think have absurd margins in that kind of space. And I hope I don't botch this. I didn't really prepare anything on this. But let's just say it was like a dollar a month for razor blades. And the thing that got popular around that brand is that people started subscribing because they're like, I'm not going to go spend $10, $20 on a razor or a pack of three or a pack of five. I'm just going to pay my dollar and call it a day. And I think because their product was really good, easy to access, you just sign up online, I think through your email, and all of a sudden, you have access to any postal code in the world where you can ship, even if it's just North America, you can ship a product, it's better than the competition. And you've kind of bootstrapped a company that is against the big giants, but the value you're delivering kind of like your earlier story about the diapers, if the value is there, and the price is there, and people are like, okay, that's a no-brainer. I'm just going to do it. That is where you should get excited and try and grow that. Those are your customers that will fuel your business or your brand. Those are the ones you need to talk to and say, what do you love about this? Why is it working? What happens if it goes away? And that's the feedback you want. That is what you want to test. If you hit that, go with it, run with it, keep that wheel going of moving that needle and getting better and You found your niche or your space. You found a place to grow. You found a foundation to build your business. With that said, go out there and start testing. Start trying things, measure, repeat, like we were saying. Take your ideas. Don't go spend a crazy amount of money back to being resourceful. How do you test these things in your spare time and build into a business? So with that said, we'll wrap up today's episode. I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in. This is Methodical Millions, episode 16. If you'd like to follow future episodes, you can find us at methodicalmillions.com or info at methodicalmillions.com for episode feedback.
1: Thanks, everyone.